Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I, I felt like I learned this from Bill. This month is lifting and running. So if, if there's a, a question, it's, you know, how's the weights going? So it's great to see these guys around. Um, hopefully we can keep the golf carts upright. But, uh, yeah, no meetings, just uh, weight room and, and running. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> it's always important to keep the golf carts Upright. I wasn't sure whether Sean Payton was going to go there in the pre-draft press conference, but the reference to Russell Wilson somehow flipping a golf cart into a bunker recently, not an ideal way to rectify his first disastrous season in Denver, but fitting, a fitting microcosm of how things went last year for Russell Wilson. I don't know if you saw, Peter, the visual evidence of the golf cart flipped by Russell Wilson, but Sean Payton take a little shot Parcells style at one of his players. You just said it absolutely perfectly. That is a, that is from the bill Parcells zinger playbook that will let everyone know that he knows everything that's going on and he'll be using that in a team meeting at some point. And you know what's great about it, Peter? It just shows the attitude that you need to have for your sacred cow franchise player. That guy needs to be treated just like everyone else. That that's where things got askew for the Broncos last year. Nathaniel Hackett, I can't remember who did the reporting on this, but the former coach of the Broncos didn't want to have a repeat of what he went through in Green Bay when he was the offensive coordinator the first year of Matt LaFleur's time as head coach, and they got resistance from Aaron Rodgers about certain things. So Hackett was very careful, tiptoeing on eggshells with Russell Wilson, and there were all these things. And it, was, it wasn't any one thing. It was the accumulation of things that made it clear that they were, they were basically – 
putting Russell Wilson in in a Pope mobile and and everyone was going to genuflect around him instead of just treating him like one of the guys. Just treat him like one of the guys. There's there's a there's a brilliant simplicity to that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that Sean Payton has made clear. I mean, he's not going to treat him. Uh, look, speaking of Parcells, he always had this thing. I don't treat everybody the same uh, because a lot of his players thought that Lawrence Taylor got special treatment, and he did. But, you know, Bill Parcells figured out how to get the most out of all his players. And I think in Denver, he has figured how to try anyway to get the most out of Russell Wilson. You know, some coaches say, you know, all these guys on this team are equal and we're going to treat everybody the same. Well, they really don't do that. But, and this is a very big but, okay? If you look at what Sean Payton has done in the four months or however much it is, three months since he took this job, I think he has gotten the point across very, very clearly that, hey, Russell, you're one of the guys, and that's the way it should be, and that's the way it's going to be. He's basically going to clear out most of his, uh, most of the excess people he had with him last year. And then you saw on the first day of free agency or second day, whatever it was, when they signed Jarrett Stidham out from under the nose of the Las Vegas Raiders uh, with a coach, the only coach he had ever had, essentially, in Josh McDaniels, uh, almost, in the NFL. And that just showed to everybody, okay, look, Russell Wilson's going to be treated like everybody else around here. And I think the in doing that, he's won a lot of points early on with his team. And, you know, the easy explanation for all this, too, is if Russell Wilson had lived up to the expectations last year, all that other yeah. stuff would still be in place, but something needed to be done. Sean Payton would be the coach of the Broncos right now if Russell Wilson had lived up to the expectations last year. Nathaniel Hackett would be back for a second season. We'll have more on the Broncos coming up later this segment and a little more Parcells later this segment. Before we transition to draft talk, though, Peter, I do have to do this, and I have, I have embraced the fact that I have become grumpy old man. And one of the things I don't like, now I love it for the teams that resist it, but the teams that give in to Nike and adjust their uniforms seemingly every few years, what's wrong with the Cowboys or Packers or Raiders or Steelers or Chiefs, the iconic looks? Now, it helps when your team's good, and I think that's what happens. Teams that are bad are looking for some way to become relevant, so let's just listen to Nike and change our uniforms. The good news for the Cardinals, at least these are better than the ones that they've had for years that were so outdated we just kind of got used to them, but they unveiled new uniforms last night, and I think the overwhelming reaction that I saw was, eh, okay. The black ones are nice, and of course, those are the alternate uniforms. The teams with bad uniforms get excited because, oh, everybody loves our alternate uniforms. Yeah, because the alternate uniforms are the only ones you have that are any good. And that's kind of where the reaction has been to the Cardinals. Although the white on white is okay, but just go back to the... What's wrong with the Jim Hart? Jake Plummer cardinals uniforms just go back what 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 would be the harm in just saying we're going to go back to our roots we're going to go back to the past we're going to embrace our old uniforms i can't wait for one of these teams to do that peter 
Well, I found it <clears throat> convenient yesterday that the Arizona Cardinals had this uniform unveil, and for all I know, it's been scheduled this day forever. But I found it very interesting that the Arizona Cardinals, who for uh, 17 months ago were 10 and two, and were the number one seed in the National Football Conference early in December 2021. Find it very interesting that the team that has gone five and eighteen since then and has what Daniel Jeremiah called yesterday on his conference call, uh, dissecting the players in this NFL draft, probably the worst talent of any team in the NFL. Isn't it isn't it just nice that the Cardinals were able to capitalize on their uh horrible play on the field and their uh, incredible dysfunction off the field and give their fans 10 minutes of a distraction showing new uniforms. And so, I don't know, Mike, I'm also an old man. I could give two craps about new uniforms. I just, I I don't care. (laughs) And if I were the Cardinals, I would be saying, hey, okay, new uniforms, nice. You better have a kick rear end draft next week. And Monty Asenfort, you're on the clock. Jonathan Gannon, you're on the clock. Fix this dysfunctional franchise and fix it now. Kyler Murray was at the event last night. You saw the photo of him when we showed the image a second ago. He was wearing the red on red that says Arizona. I don't know why you have Arizona on the home jersey. The people at the stadium know where they are, but that's a different issue altogether. He said we're going to win a lot of jersey. I blew it. We're going to win a lot of games in these uniforms. (laughs) And my first thought was you're going to lose a lot of games in them too. So I guess if you keep them long enough, yes, in theory, you will win a lot of games. The win-loss record may be, you know, 50 and 300, but you will win 50 games in those uniforms if you keep them for 350. And, and look, they can turn it around, but they got a lot of work to do. You're right. They have, I think, matched, if not beaten, the Texans as the most dysfunctional team in the NFL right now, starting with the Kyler Murray homework clause from last year. And it just feels like it has just plummeted straight downhill ever since then. And here they are. And you're right. They have to get it figured out with Monty Austin Ford as the GM and Jonathan Gannon as the head coach. Okay, so let's pivot then to what's coming up in six days, the opportunity for the Cardinals to begin to turn things around and everybody else who has a first-round pick this year. 31 picks in six days because the Dolphins lost theirs last year for blatantly tampering with Sean Payton, who we saw at the top of the program, and Tom Brady. So when the 31 picks are made next Thursday night, we'll learn a lot. What's the buzz, Peter, as we get closer and closer to the draft? And there's the countdown clock. There it is. I finally figured I out think which the buzz, point. I was pointing the wrong I think way. The buzz, there's, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's right below well, my logo. My NBC. Now it's moving. No, now it's, now right it's moving around. Rio's chin. They're there moving it. Yeah. Uh, here's what the buzz is. I think about the NFL draft right now. Wither CJ Stroud. And I think he is a dilemma pick right now for some teams in the NFL. Mike, three weeks ago, I wrote just, you know, this kind of stuff that I was hearing that there are some people who weren't sure 
that the Houston Texans were going to take a quarterback if it wasn't Bryce Young. Now, I didn't say at the time that they wouldn't take a quarterback if it wasn't Bryce Young, but I just said there are starting to be some questions about this. And I think now what we have seen with a lot of the veiled and critical shots at C.J. Stroud, that's a natural part of the draft process. It really is. But the odd thing is, the veiled shots aren't the veiled shots are not coming, a, you know, uh, front and center against the five ten quarterback. They're coming against the six three and a half quarterback who put up forty one points on the best defense in college football, Georgia's, and almost stunned the Georgia Bulldogs in the college football semifinal game on New Year's Eve. They're coming against a guy who appeared to have a resume that was fairly much above reproach that Chris Sims said essentially is the closest thing to Joe Burrow. And so I think one of the things that's going to happen in the next six days is we're all going to wake up a week from today. And I think the story of the first round is quite honestly what happens to C.J. Stroud. And we're going to talk more about Bryce Young coming up, but I am fascinated by the C.J. Stroud situation. Chris Sims and I talked about it yesterday morning because just before the show began, I had seen this back and forth between Brady Quinn and Ryan Clark about C.J. Stroud. Did he ghost the Mannings at their passing academy? And there was... I think back and forth all day yesterday on Twitter between Ryan Clark and Brady Quinn about this. And like, it's just odd to me that this stuff is coming out now. Is it that the media is finally catching up to it? Or is it that there are agents and teams that are aggressively pushing it? You have, you know how this goes, Peter, there's a team out there that would love nothing more than to have CJ Stroud to fall into their lap. So let's go ahead and traffic in all the negativity because maybe he'll be there when we pick. And then you've got competing agents, CAA, Athletes First. CAA has Will Levis. Athletes First has C.J. Stroud. And you get a lot of that that goes on. It just is odd to me that it's reaching this fever pitch now when just a few weeks ago C.J. Stroud was the betting favorite to be the first overall selection. So first the Panthers convince enough people that that's not the direction. And now... You got this situation where it feels like Stroud could sink like a stone. Yeah, I don't think he's going to sink like a stone. I don't think he's going to go any lower than number four. Uh, but, and I think, I, I thought what Peter Schrager did in his mock draft this week was really smart. And that is he had the Indianapolis Colts trading up to number two and taking C.J. Stroud. Um, and the uh, Texans went down to number four. And so I don't think he goes any lower than four, but I think it will be a surprise to many people, maybe not by a week from now, because we're starting to understand that he really might go a couple of slots lower than everybody thought he would go. But Mike, that's what happens at this time of year. It really does, whether it happens in the moments before the draft or a week before the draft. You know, we saw what happened with Laramie Tunsil. You've seen what happened with, with Warren Sapp a generation ago or more than that. And it, it, when 
when static appears around the name and the resume and the reputation of a player, there are going to be people who take that seriously. And look, and it isn't, it isn't just this, honestly. If there were one thing like this, was there a misunderstanding with the Mannings? Was there not? It's one thing is not that big a deal, but for there to be the kind of noise about CJ Stroud in the NFL community right now, it's got to be more than one thing. And so that's why to me, I think, I don't know. I, I am doing my one and only mock draft for Monday. And Mike, if I had to print publish on it right now at this moment, I'd still put CJ Stroud number two to Houston. Because part, and I'm not saying that's what I'm going to do Monday, but I continue to think that how can Cal McNair and Nick Casario talking about this long-term construction job on their team exit this draft either, either with, uh, and let's say it's Hendon Hooker, with some other quarterback other than C.J. Stroud, and let's say it's Hendon Hooker because he is rapidly gaining steam in the days before the draft. Well, you don't even know if Hendon Hooker is playing football this year. And he probably will at some point. But you have to ask yourself, are you willing to go into this season right now if you're the Houston Texans? Do you want to say to your fans, oh, by the way, get excited. It's either going to be Case Keenum or Davis Mills quarterbacking the first game of the season. This fan base and these people who are renewing season tickets are renewing them and and, and they want a new quarterback badly. And who knows what position you're going to be in a year from now. What if you have the eighth pick in the draft and you can't move up? to take, let's say, Caleb Williams or whoever else is going to be the new bright, shiny object in 2024. That's why all I can say is I don't care if you if you don't think C.J. Stroud is perfect, if you have X, Y, and Z problems with him. Man, unless you've got a major problem with him if you're Houston, I still find it hard to believe that they'll pass him. The counterbalance to all that, too, is you got D'Amico Ryans as the head coach who comes from San Francisco where look what happened with the third overall pick two years ago. Look what happened with the final pick in the draft last year. And as Sims was saying earlier this week, D'Amico Ryans may simply want his Nick Bosa, whether it's Will Anderson, whether it's Tyree That's Wilson, whoever it is, Tyree Wilson. top edge rusher. Yeah. And then, and then pick up your quarterback later because you can pick up a quarterback all the way down to the final pick in the draft, and it can work out for you. An extreme but, example, but, Mike, but still, Mike, the, that's the perspective be, D'Amico Ryans is bringing to this. Let's be fair about this. There's been one time in NFL history where Mr. Irrelevant had a rookie year that last year's Mr. Irrelevant had. That is a freak of nature. And I think it is, I'm not saying this about you, but I think it's ridiculous to think that D'Amico Ryans is walking in and say, hey, we can get the 17th quarterback in this draft and we'll coach him up and man, he's going to be good. Kyle Shanahan had no idea when they picked 
uh, Brock Purdy, 958th in the draft last year, that he was going to be Brock Purdy. And so all I'm saying is that it's one thing to say we can solve our edge problems because we don't have an edge rusher, and that is a vital position on any team. We'll get our Miles Garrett. I mean, if indeed, uh, you know, Tyree Wilson, who I think is their preference, or Willie Anderson, either one of them is the choice. That's fine. And I'm not going to say, man, what a dumb pick. But all I can say is the Houston Texans had better have some answer coming out of this draft at quarterback uh, instead of the incumbents on their roster. And I'm not suggesting Ryan's position is going to be, let's make sure we have the last pick in the draft and take whichever quarterback's left. But when you compare the Trey Lance experience to the Brock Purdy experience, I could see Ryan's being of the mindset we can find a quarterback later than the second overall pick. We can't find a potential generational pass rusher later than second overall, especially since the Texans also have the 12th pick. If in that's what Tyree I say one last thing before is. we move on. Yeah. I want to say one last thing about that because I've been thinking a lot about the Texans trading down, and you look at the teams that may want quarterbacks, and two of them are in their division, the Titans at 11, the Colts at four. And I, I think back to last year, my son is still pissed that the Vikings traded with the Lions to the pick that became Jamison Williams because he thinks the Vikings are going to be haunted by Jamison Williams for years to come. And I don't think the Texans would be willing to hand the Colts their franchise quarterback. I don't think That's when it good, comes down very to it, good they'll point. do it. Think, think about how this all came to be where the Texans don't have the first overall pick. They screwed around and beat the Colts late in a meaningless Week 18 game, and they locked in at 2-4 and four respectively. And I don't care what the Colts are giving us, I'm not giving them C.J. Stroud in the chance that Stroud becomes Peyton Manning and we got to deal with this guy. We're never going to hear the end of it if C.J. Stroud becomes a high-end franchise quarterback. I think that's enough to get the Texans to say, sorry, we're not doing this. Maybe. Um, I would always be more concerned with what my team is rather than another team. And the reason why I understand what you're saying, Mike, but I don't think that would be foremost on Nick Casario's mind, is that if you believe that C.J. Stroud is a good player, you're, you're A, not trading him to Indianapolis. B, you're picking him. And so, you know, if, if, you, don't, if you think his warts are going to show, then I, I, the, the one thing that trading with Indianapolis would do is it would mean that every time, twice a year for the next X number of years, that C.J. Stroud plays the Houston Texans, it will be a Super Bowl for C.J. Stroud, where on Wednesday at his press conference with the local media in Indianapolis, he'll say, hey, it's just another game. That's just, you know, it's just one of 17 on the schedule. Bull crap. It will be a giant game twice a year uh, for C.J. Stroud. And so, look, it'd be a fun story. It certainly would, but... I don't think that would stand in the way of the Texans. If And Mike, let's go back to my Hendon Hooker theory. Let's say for the sake of argument that this team wants Hendon Hooker. 
And let's say that this team has a pretty good feeling that they're going to get Tyree Wilson at number four. Let's just say, all right? Now, you have the 12th pick in the draft. You have to make a judgment right now. You have to look at all the teams in, let's say, the first half of this draft, going down, let's say, to number 20. Is there any way that Tampa Bay or Washington might trade up above us at 12, uh, you know, to get Hendon Hooker? Is there a team that we think might be in love with Hendon Hooker who could be the trump card on us? Because if you decide, if you're Nick Casario and you decide that you want Hendon Hooker and you have the 12th pick, all I can say is you better not fail to get him. You better not watch as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers trade up to the Bears at number nine and steal Hendon Hooker from you, or to the Eagles at number 10 and steal Hendon Hooker. So that's, in the immortal words of Laura King, I'm just saying. Well, it is going to be fascinating. You mentioned Casario is the one pulling the trigger on that potential Colts-Texans trade for Stroud. This is one where the owner's got to put the key in and turn it too. Because I think the owner's the one that's going to be concerned about what happens over the next 15 years. Because he's going to be there. Casario probably won't be. D'Amico Ryans, maybe he will, maybe he won't. The owner is going to be there, and he's the one that's going to have to live with it for the course of C.J. Stroud's career. He better be comfortable with doing it before they actually do it. All right. You could get a quarterback with the second pick. You could get a quarterback with the last pick. You could also get a quarterback with the 53rd pick. That's what the Eagles did back in 2020, and it worked out very well with Jalen Hurts. Contract isn't signed yet. I'm told it will be signed Monday. Jalen's actually not in town yet, but it's done. There's no reason to think it's going to fall apart. There isn't going to be some... 12th hour demand that someone makes that it all craters. It's done. They trust each other. It's just a matter of him signing it. Howie Roseman, pre-draft press conference yesterday, talking about the deal. Not official yet, but official, that will keep Jalen Hurts in town for up to six more seasons. Here he is. By doing it at the time we did um, and by um, being able to work together to do things that were important to them and important to us. And for us, it's about flexibility around him. You know, this is the ultimate team game and he needs to have talented people around him. Uh, Jalen recognized that. Nicole recognized that. And so to be able to do this in a way that uh, also gives us an opportunity to get good players. Yeah, it does, and that's the goal here. Getting your quarterback early, getting him to sign a deal that he can't refuse. That's the other side of this, too. When you're talking about a guy who came into the league at pick number 53, I think it's it's easier to get a guy like that to say yes to a good deal and not get him to say, I'll wait for a great deal. I'll let it play out another year. I'll go toward franchise tag territory and do that. He's never gotten a huge contract. This is it. And the opportunity's right there. So I think the Eagles knew that the right thing to do for them was to put good, not great money on the table. And when the deal is finalized, we'll be able to see with certainty where it is, how it compares to other contracts, how much of a, a strong point it's going to be for teams negotiating contracts for quarterbacks in the coming months how much of a strong point it'll be for the players but I I just feel like it's one of those where the Eagles knew now's the time to move 
Now's the time to make the commitment because it's only going to get more expensive if we wait. So it was smart for the Eagles to make their move because I think it's easier to get a Jalen Hurts to say yes to an offer that maybe a guy who was taken third overall would say, man, that's good, but I'll wait another year. So I think it worked out perfectly for both sides. And now they do have that flexibility, Peter, to keep putting great players around Jalen Hurts into the future. You know, I was stunned, as I think probably most people were, to see the salary cap hits in the first three years of the deal. They're all incredibly reasonable. Uh, And what is interesting to me about this contract is that, you know, I thought Howie Roseman made it very, very clear here that when he did this contract with Jalen Hurts and his agent, Nicole Lynn, I think the biggest part of the negotiations were exactly what happened with Tom Brady. And I mean this, this was two decades ago this offseason when Tom Brady, uh, you know, negotiated for his second contract. And he said words to this effect to the New England Patriots. And we'll find out whatever was said back and forth during negotiations. But... And again, these this is not a direct quote in any way, but I'm just, here was Tom Brady's feeling. I can make enough money off the field to make up for whatever I'm not going to make if I tried to get every last dime out of this negotiation. So as long as you agree to pay other players to spend to the cap every year, I'm fine with not being the highest paid quarterback in football. And, and look, I think what you're going to see uh, and Mike, isn't it interesting that 10 years ago this month, the highest paid player in the in NFL history by average per year contract 10 years ago was Joe Flacco at 20.1 million. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. And today, exactly 10 years later, uh, that average salary is 51 million at the quarterback position. Now, I think a lot of people are going to hear that, Mike, and they're going to say, this is outrageous. Player salaries are through the roof. It's stupid. I hate football. Uh, You know, be reasonable. It's idiotic. (laughs) Look, I'm just going to make this point about it. Between 2013 and 2023, the salary cap has gone up 102 million dollars and so if the salary cap goes up 102 million in 10 years and you take let's just say one third of that and pay it to the guy who is vastly the most important player in your franchise where's the injustice i don't what's so bad about that mike we have to get used to in this business where franchises rise in value from four and a half billion in one year to six billion the next year. And we have to get used to the fact that it is all monopoly money. And if the owners can make a sick, stupid, ridiculous amount of money when they sell their franchises after running it into the ground for a quarter century, why can't a quarterback make 
uh, $50 million a year. I, and again, I understand that people get upset when we talk about that, but it is all relative. Well, Peter, I've been saying that for years because the fans get up in arms when the players get these big contracts and they never consider that the salary cap keeps going up, that everyone is getting rich, that the players have no equity whatsoever. All they're ever going to make is what they're able to finagle from the teams during their careers. In grand scheme of things, you got a limited number of years where you are at that maximum earning capacity. So the average per year always, always has to be considered within the context of the size of the salary cap and the ever-inflating franchise values. And here's the other side of it, too. And this is what agents do. I've never encountered any agent, maybe one, maybe one, who sees it this way. When you do an extension for five years at $255 million of a guy who's got one year left at $4 million, he's not signing a five-year $255 million contract. He's signing a six-year $259 million contract, which is only $43 million. Which, only 43, we should all be so underpaid. But still, the way that the agents try to one-up each other and sell these things as greater than they are, what happens? They get sold as greater than they are. This is a $43 million deal. And we won't know what it's truly worth until we're able to delve into the details, see what the true commitment is at signing, how many years the Eagles are tied to this, how backloaded it is to drive up the APY, which happens with some frequency in the NFL because the agents want to be able to say, I negotiated the richest deal in NFL history, regardless of whether that money's ever paid out. Those are all things that get lost, and they always will get lost behind the headline. And it, like you said, $51 yeah. million, and people get mad at the player, and they don't think about anything else. I looked up the salary cap when they first – do you remember what the salary cap was for the, the full amount of each team when they first adopted it 30 years ago? $32 million. Yeah, I was going to say 32 million. million. Sorry, yeah. I didn't give you a chance. I didn't give you a chance to finish. We didn't get to finish the Price is Right game. You would have won because you were under and you were close <laughs> at 30 million. So 32 million, and now you got guys making 50 million or at least 40 million still, a lot more than ever before. But that's a product of the sport getting more and more popular all the time. Very popular head coach in Philly, Nick Sirianni, was at the press conference yesterday. And, you know, there's this question now, given the shoulder injury we saw last year with Jalen Hurts, and he missed time, and there was the question of whether or not he was fully healthy all the way through the Super Bowl. And I remember thinking after the Super Bowl, we're going to find out he had surgery on it. If he did, we haven't found out about it. Here's Sirianni on what happens next in the career for a guy who can run it well, who can pass it well. They're paying him a lot of money. Are they going to be careful with him going forward? Here's Sirianni. Jalen's on a rookie contract. I'm just going to be reckless and do whatever we want with him. Um, and so, like, we were very careful. I know, and, you know, he got injured. He's gotten injured. Uh, and But we didn't pay him more to do less. I'll say that, right? Um, will we still think about how to protect him? Yeah, because that's our job to protect our quarterback. Um, but, you know, Jalen does a lot of things really well, and we want to utilize the skills that he has um, so he can continue to play at a high level. And so, um, you know, I, to me, we'll, we'll continue to go about our business the same way we went about our, you know, we went about our business. We'll, we'll always think about protecting him first. Um, but, you know, we didn't pay him more to do less. 
And that makes sense. Look, you're never going to be reckless with your quarterback. But the reality is one of the reasons Jalen Hurts said yes to that contract is the injury risk now goes from him to the team. And if he does have some sort of serious injury next year that affects his career in a way that he can't recover from, or if it is a true career-ending injury, the Eagles are on the hook for it. He's got the insurance that comes from it. So he can just go play football and not worry about that. In what would have been the final year of his career or final year of his contract, thinking about what happens, what happens if I get injured, now he can just go play and not worry about it. Hey, look, you know, one of the reasons why Nick Sirianni and especially Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie feel good about this contract and and look, I, I I forget who wrote it, but uh, this is a very similar point in time to when Carson Wentz signed his ridiculously large contract. Came after a great Eagle season, obviously a transcendent season for Wentz. He just got hurt during the season. But I think the one difference is that. And again, I, I've told this story on this show a couple of times, Mike, but I think it's absolutely apt and fitting. Is that last year when the Philadelphia Eagles uh, beat the Jacksonville Jaguars after the game, I spent a little time with Nick Sirianni and a little time with Jalen Hurts. And two things happened during the course of those 20 minutes with those two guys. Number one, Nick Sirianni said they're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's not like it's a Super Bowl matchup. They're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. And at 9 o'clock on Tuesday night, the previous Tuesday, five days earlier, Nick Sirianni looks up and there in their offices studying to get a head start on the game plan is Jalen Hurts. And he basically told me that I got to tell this guy, will you get the heck out of here? Because he just works and he's so conscientious. Then I go over to Jalen Hurts. And I... (laughs) Twice in the course of a 10-minute conversation, he called his father Coach Hertz because obviously at Channel View High School in Texas, growing up, Jalen Hertz's dad was Coach Hertz. He was his high school coach. And so I think the respect for the game drips out of Jalen Hertz and the understanding that he has such respect for the game is foremost in the minds of owner Jeffrey Lurie and general manager Howie Roseman. And I think if you gave them both truth serum, they would say, hey, listen, we were shocked at the twists and turns that the Carson Wentz thing took. Shocked. However, it was probably a little bit of a different story, both in terms of preparation and in terms of sort of willing to be coached, as you saw with late, in uh, Carson Wentz's time in Philadelphia. So look, I think this is money very, very, very well spent for the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, when we talk about these qualities that Jalen Hurts possesses, I've interviewed him, you've interviewed him. It comes through. It's infectious. Yeah. And it just makes me wonder, how did he slip to 53? Were were his (laughs) physical skills that disregarded? Because the the non-physical aspects of his game are unmistakable if you spend any amount of time with him. So it really does make me wonder, and it's got to make the Eagles very happy that they were able to wait as long as they did 
to get this kid who's become one of the shortlist franchise quarterbacks. What do you think? And I know we won't know until we see the details, as I've been saying. But my first thought, because folks want to say, oh, what's it mean for Justin Herbert? What's it mean for Joe Burrow? Did Jalen Hurts have this deal done? I, I What's it mean to Lamar Jackson, the guy who's still at impasse with the Ravens? Is this the thing that's going to break the ice? We did a side-by-side of some of the key factors earlier this week, and I don't think it's going to move the needle for Lamar Jackson. It's not going to make him say, hey, at just all. give me the Jalen Hurts contract. I think he's still going to want more. Well, I don't think it moves the needle at all, um, other than to be one more exclamation point to – Lamar Jackson, look, dude, you know, you give guaranteed contracts in the NFL very sparingly, if ever, and you've missed 34% of the snaps in the last two years. A general manager would have to be irresponsible to give you a fully guaranteed five-year contract, which is what you want and which Deshaun Watson got. Um, But I do think, Mike, that if if this is just one more brick in the wall, that there have been 10 contracts signed by quarterbacks since New Year's Day 2022 that have been for average salaries of $20 million or more. 10, okay? Nine of them are not guaranteed. And in fact, depending on the guarantee in this, which is unclear yet, there's not a single one that's over 70% other other than Deshaun Watson. And so, you know, that that defines outlier to me. And 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 look, I just don't think this is going to get done if Lamar Jackson just continues to say got to be fully guaranteed, got to be market value. Now that market is 50 million, so I've got to have a fully guaranteed contract worth 50 million a year. And, and look, on the Ravens' side, I think it's been clear for some time that the only way that this makes sense for them is to give them a fully guaranteed two- or three-year contract. That way, if the injury bug continues with Lamar Jackson, then in three years, after probably overpaying him, that you are going to be able to just get out of it and move on. But to me... I just think this does nothing to move this toward the goal line. The most important factor that we uncovered this week, and I don't know how much of it was already reported and how much of it was new. I know the one thing that was reported over and over and over again, starting last September 11, I believe the first day of the regular season, 133 million. That was the full guarantee that the Ravens offered. And that was all we got. And I think the message was intended to be, can you believe it was only 133 million? And one of the big things that I had been saying is the practical guarantee is just as important. And the practical guarantee means, as a practical matter, how much injury guarantee flips to full guarantee after one season, March of the year after you sign it, because the guy's not getting cut after one year. Those guarantees are going to vest. They're going to go from injury to full in March of the year after you put your signature at the bottom of the contract. And for Jalen Hurts, the practical guarantee, the amount that vests by March of next year is $126 million. For Lamar Jackson, forget about the 133 By March of 23, last month, if he had taken that offer last year, $168 million. 
not 133. Slightly different perspective on what that deal was worth. And a very important difference between him and Jalen Hurts. He ain't touching that Jalen Hurts deal. That Jalen Hurts deal is not going to move the needle. And I think he's going to have a hard time getting to the point where the Ravens would even do 168 practical guarantee given what happened last year with the injury situation. That's the one thing that hasn't come out about whatever negotiations are occurring between the Ravens and Lamar, Peter. If I'm the Ravens, do I put the offer back on the table that was there last August? I'm not so sure I do. I wouldn't. You've got more evidence to suggest that, um, you know, and I hate to be a broken record on this because there's so many people in the media that just don't talk about it or gloss over it. Look, if Lamar Jackson were Cal Ripken, and I don't mean white versus black at all, but what I'm saying is if Lamar Jackson played every game or virtually every game, and, you know, he would have, I think, a very good argument for a fully guaranteed contract. Very good. But I just think right now it's irresponsible to think that you should give a guy who's missed that amount of time, who has started and finished one of the Ravens' 12 December and January games in the last two years. I don't know. I don't understand why anybody would think that, oh, yeah, a guaranteed contract for five years is a real smart decision. And, and please stop throwing the, uh, he won the MVP. He's an MVP winner. Yes, he is. Everything is considered when you negotiate a contract. The MVP win is why we're talking about all this, is why we're, is why, uh, you know, he should be paid in a short term at the absolute top of the market, and you won't get any argument. I doubt you'll get any argument from the Ravens, honestly. You know, to pay him on a short term of, of, you know, 47 to 50, whatever the number is per year. But we're talking on a long-term basis. It just really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, the bottom line is this, and to not sound like a broken record either, at some point, Lamar Jackson has to say yes to something. The example we used earlier this week, if he's got a car he's trying to sell and he's got a price on it of $50,000 and nobody's offering more than $30,000, at some point, you're taking 30000 or you're not selling your car. At some point, Lamar Jackson has to accept an offer or he's not playing football this year. And we'll see how it plays out. But at some point, he has to say yes. And hey, there may be collusion going on. There may be all sorts of things happening that aren't fair or just. At some point, he's got to say yes to the best offer he has or he's not playing football for the Baltimore Ravens or anyone in 2023. All right, let's take a break. Bryce Young is going to be playing some football in 2023, likely the first pick next Thursday night. I spoke to him yesterday. We'll play some of that. And he uh, – yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to read the tease that's here. It is funny, though. We'll be back with him on PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.